By the way, uh, as I introduce Malcolm, Malcolm has always encouraged us to be active when it comes to um, when it comes to standing up for what's right in our community and even outside our community. I remind everybody that we have an opportunity to stand up. Matthew Marr and Christopher Brown were arrested November 18th at Penn Station in Manhattan for planning a possible imminent attack on an unnamed synagogue. Uh, Marr's charged with weapons possession. Brown with making terrorist threats and weapons possession. Uh, if you are worried about the rising incidents of anti-Semitism, here's something simple and concrete that we could do. Show up as a concerned member of the Jewish community and as a concerned New Yorker at the pair's next hearing, which is this coming Tuesday, 9 a.m., January the 31st, 9 a.m., at New York State Supreme Court, 111 Center Street in Manhattan, room 733. We're asking that until Marr and Brown stand trial, both of us remain out of public circulation, that the DA send the message to would-be haters by requesting the full measure of punishment for what could have been a horrific anti-Semitic crime. January 31st, New York State Supreme Court, Center Street in Manhattan, room 733. Any details you need, just feel free to email us here, Nahum at NahumSiegel.com. Malcolm Holmline is Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. It would be nice to get people more and more active uh, when it comes to uh, getting out there and uh, going to hearings like I just described and taking to the streets when uh, when justice is uh, is needed to be served. It would be nice if our community responds even greater than they normally respond at these times, right? 100%. And, and bringing the message directly to those responsible and letting them know in responsible ways that they'll be held to account and that we will you know, measure those who, who the judges, the everybody who's involved, the district attorneys in particular, who, you know, have this revolving door justice system that applies not just to our community, but particularly in terms of anti-Semitic incidents where a rap on the wrist seems to be everything, and, and in some cases not even that, that the only way we'll get change is when people make their voices heard, whether it's at the ballot box, whether it's in public protests and articles, and and uh, exercising their rights as an American. It's not special treatment. This is what the justice system should be providing. I hope everybody out there heard what you just said and internalized it. Uh, today's Holocaust Remembrance Day in the Ukraine. Uh, the leader of Ukraine... Um, Prime Minister or uh, President Zelensky uh, marked the Holocaust Remembrance Day at Babi Yar. Um, we have been informed, and we spoke with uh, someone from Yad Vashem this week, that there's an egg exhibit at the United Nations, the Book of Names, courtesy of Yad Vashem, which is now on display, free of charge until February the 17th. In general, the UN, I think you would agree, has taken Holocaust Remembrance Day pretty seriously. Uh, what are your thoughts? I, 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 no deep philosophical things. I'm not looking for that. Just isn't it curious how the UN, you know, accommodates itself when it comes to things like Holocaust Remembrance Day, the exhibit that I just described from Yad Vashem. Yet it's the same entity that is on the front lines of the war against Israel. Unfortunately, again, we're talking about uh, something that seems to be a syndrome where the world is very good at mourning dead Jews. Their problem is with living Jews. And while I believe very strongly in Holocaust education, reminding the world about it, we see in the Arab world now it being introduced in Morocco and Egypt, even Saudi Arabia, UAE, are having a Holocaust commemorations and putting the Holocaust in their textbooks, not in places like the Palestinian Authority where they continue to... Uh, 
to denigrate the Holocaust. And uh, as you know, Abbas, who is now, uh, I think, in his 15th, 17th year of his four-year term, uh, wrote his doctoral thesis, uh, uh, which was a Holocaust denial thesis. So the the fact that uh, the world and that so many people who don't stand up for Israel and for Jews but are very good at joining in Holocaust memorials because it's lip service on their part, not sincerity. Yeah. And we have to demand of them that while well, we want them to remember and that we have an obligation to remember that never again has to be a pledge that we all take, not a, just a hollow phrase and to, to have, you know, not serious commemorations. The Holocaust book at the, the, the book of names at the UN is very important. The other Many of the commemorations are important in educating a generation, but the studies recently show, even done recently, show that the vast majority of young Americans can't identify basic facts about the Holocaust. They don't know that six million died. They don't know what Auschwitz is. They can't really tell you the, the facts and the, the level of denial or people who doubt the, the veracity of the facts about the Holocaust increases year by year. And unfortunately, even in our own community, young people know too little about the Holocaust. And and the lessons that we learn and how you, you have to confront evil and hatred and especially anti-Semitism in its most manifest forms right away at the beginning or else you let it, that cancer grow. And often when there's a... Um uh, when there's an effort to annihilate a people to, uh, I mean, you, you see what goes on e- even today. If we if we look carefully around the world, what's happening with certain groups who are living under uh, tyrannical rule. Uh, th- usually the entity uh, does not make it publicly known that they'd like to annihilate them and completely wipe them out. I wish that our community and certainly others around the around this country would at least be teaching our children and their children that there was literally an effort that was made public that was, nobody was nobody was quiet or or uh, or uh, uh, you know it, 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 uh, keeping it a secret openly. You know, Hitler went ahead and said, "This is the plan. This is what I want to do." And you know, and I think that that's such an important element. It's not just the the statistics and the and the stories, which of course are vital, but it's also that people need to realize, and the young people especially, that there was literally a publicly known, publicly declared effort. This is our intention to destroy the Jewish people, and I think that's a very important element that gets forgotten. The, the dictators and, and haters tell you what they want to do. Look how many people, the Fuentes and the others uh, around who, who, who openly declare their intention. And it, it's true in Europe, it's true in the United States, it's true globally. When Iran says that they're going to wipe the, the Jewish state off the map, when they engage in the kind of an, a Holocaust mocking, they have a, a national contest uh, with the cartoons. When you hear what they have to say, take it seriously. They mean it. Yep. And they're seeking the means to be able to implement it. And thank God so far they have not been able to. But look at the, at the coalition now between Russia, China, Iran. You see the, that Iran making common cause on the Internet with the most vicious anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic groups and being responsible for thousands of hateful sites that the Internet has totally changed the war against anti-Semitism because they have platforms that can reach countless people anonymously. And for every site that gets closed, many more are open. 
And in Sweden, we saw the threat to burn a Sefer Torah because some guy, not Jewish, burned the Koran, and it was outrageous and, sh and not acceptable that that was, took place, but then threatened to burn a Sefer Torah. Now they have backed off because Israel intervened with the Swedish government and with others. But the the fact is that, that the, the threats are very open. The intention is made very clear. Now the question is, how do you respond to it? Yeah, 100%. By the way, small thing, you mentioned the Palestinians before. I'm just curious. I mean, what Rashida Tlaib did in putting the Palestinian flag outside her office, she's not, she's not breaking any laws. I'm assuming that member of Congress can do whatever they want as long as within reason at their office, right, especially if she's showing solidarity. But, I mean, obviously it's a statement, but, I mean, legally I assume it's fine, right? I assume so, but there are rules and etiquette in, in the Congress that govern behavior. I mean, I wonder if... Uh, 25 members of Congress put Israeli flags outside their offices. Right, good point. How she would respond. But what we should do is get the members of Congress who are offices are adjacent to hers. Right. And I just thought of it to put an Israeli flag outside so that every time she walks by, she has to see it. <laughs> it would certainly be a good uh, strategy, that's for sure. Uh, all right, tell us about, I mean, obviously, two major stories in Israel regarding security. Let's start with the one uh, in terms of Gaza. Tell us about the rockets from Gaza this week and what the Israeli response has been. So the rockets uh, from Gaza follow the actions that Israel took in um, dealing with uh, terrorist groups and, and preventing an imminent attack and a major one, which included bombs, and um, they they went into Janine not because they wanted to and not on a fishing expedition, but because they had really specific information. They knew the house, they knew everything, and they went in and they met resistance and the the armed resistance, obviously. Uh, and so a number of terrorists were, were neutralized, as they say. Uh, there are accusations about the civilians, and so far nobody has proven who, who did it to them. And we know that in the past uh, there were questionable accusations made, uh, you know, that Israeli troops who act with great care. And if you look at the movies, you see how carefully executed this um, uh, operation was. Uh, but it was necessary because letting it go would have meant that, that people would have died and was an attack in Yerushalayim planned. And we know from previous attacks that, uh, that they mean it and they're ready to do it. And the response then came, of course, since it was anticipated. Uh, this was mostly Palestinian Islamic Jihad terrorists, but also Hamas. And they want to show that they're the champions uh, and therefore engaged in the firing of some rockets. Uh, they were taken down by Iron Dome, and Israel retaliated against the rocket-making factory, uh, something they could do every day because they open up new ones, and they continue to sustain them at the expense of the people of Gaza. And there's a series of movies that have come out, films, which expose what life is like in, in Gaza and the anti-Hamas feeling and the resentment against Hamas that exists in Gaza, and I suggest everybody uh, see it. That the, um, but you see how quickly the world jumps to condemn. I was listening to BBC's uh, report, and they had on um, Mrs. Savonj Cutler, who was a former member of Knesset, who said, well, what are you talking about? This is Israel's responding. They're doing what a state must do. Obviously, they were very annoyed at her response and had on quickly other people who made condemnatory uh, statements. So this was, um, you know, we, we see that the terrorism continues. It, it's fueled by uh, Iran, who supports these uh, organizations, and Hamas. 
is recruiting more and more in uh, Judea and Samaria in the West Bank, and uh, Hezbollah supposedly recruited 9,000 people. So this is um, not something that's going to end uh, quickly. The point now is to try to dampen it down, and and, uh, the PA announced that they are no longer going to engage in cooperation with Israel security forces. The truth is that Israel security forces are doing their work. I mean, this is talking about cutting off your nose to spite your face to say that they're going <laughs> to stop the cooperation when all of this really does more to, to save the PA and from its responsibilities in dealing, confronting uh, the terrorism that uh, is allowed to, to thrive. Do they hinder, Israel, do they hinder Israel's uh, attempts? Like in Janine, uh, do they become an obstacle to Israel? I think, I think that not only did they not hinder it, I think they often you know, tip off Israelis so that Israel should react because they won't, but, but they know that it's a threat to them too. And, and the growing resentment against the PA, which is in very high numbers according to every study that is done of uh, public opinion there, that, um, you know, it serves their purpose. We'd be amazed at how Israel obtains all this intelligence information, huh? Everybody takes it for granted. You know, I was thinking about it, what it must take to get it. And you need to be on the ground. You need human resources. You need, you know, cameras, drones, everything that, that works to, to be able to, to trace it. But to know one building, who the individuals are, et cetera, and to be able to take them out. And God knows how many lives were saved by cause because of it. And I painted it as two security situations. They're not two. They're completely interwoven. They're completely interrelated. I mean, meaning Janine and Gaza, as we you know, as we observe what's happening. Absolutely, and and of course, Hamas wants to show that it's the, the great defender and out front on this and shooting rockets off and thinking they can do it with impunity, and they don't care if their people get hurt. This is a double war crime. You you shoot at civilian populations and you shoot from within a civilian population to draw fire on them and to to place their rockets and launchers, et cetera, within civilian populations near schools, mosques, et cetera. That, that's a war crime by the definite by legal definition. Yeah, understood. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. All right, tell us the latest regarding the Israeli government. I, uh, I saw the Prime Minister, uh, in fact, um, uh, heeded the uh, directive of the uh, judiciary and fired Ayyadari as a minister, so that's done. What's the fallout? What's the aftermath of that whole episode? It was anticipated. I don't think that there's much fallout. He's, um, Ayyadari will remain head of Shas, and whether he chairs a committee in Knesset or has some other responsibility, uh, I think he wasn't calling for a um, for a reaction to it. It was a judgment of the court. Um, the, the issue of the judicial reform obviously has taken precedence over, over virtually everything else, and you've had the large demonstrations to focus on this as well as other proposed uh, measures, which I again say will not happen in the way that people, uh, the media is purporting to do it, but to say that this is the death of democracy, a challenge to democracy. I have to say that I think the administration, the U.S. administration has been very um, moderate and, and uh, in its approach to it and giving Israel a chance and saying that, you know, the demonstrations prove what a democracy it is. You know, in the, in the other countries in the world, you wouldn't have 100,000 people gathering uh, in the street to protest against a decision without any consequence, without any punishment. You see that in, in, in Iran, 
They've ex- they're executing more and more people, arresting more and more, tens of thousands in prison, score-facing death sentence, uh, public execution, 600 killed last year in the executions, uh, and uh, the world hardly uh, reacts to it. And here in Israel, you have, uh, you know, and, and the kind of disproportionate and distorted attention that it got. People could disagree with it. I think there's legitimate grounds to have concerns, but I think even the people on the left in the past have criticized the activist uh, Supreme Court, and many legal scholars have been writing about it and others uh, after the initial thrust of you know the threats and what it means to see say that you know there should be, but it should be more modified and more moderate. I think there's too many public statements, too much said uh, often from ministers and and saying things that that fuel the the fire. But you know, what's really amazing to me is, do you know what juniper oak is? No, juniper oak. Right. And you're one of the most informed people that I know. <laughs> and I asked I asked yesterday, maybe five, six people. I was in Washington and people, you know, who are with us who are well informed. Juniper Oak is the biggest exercise ever in history between the United States and Israel. Six thousand American troops, five hundred of them in Israel, the rest on twelve naval flotillas there, US S George Her- Herbert Walker Bush aircraft carrier and its whole group is there. There were 142 aircraft involved. The United States flew B-52 bombers from the United States to participate in, in this. The, the satellite technology being used and they did joint runs between the United States and Israeli pilots exercising, but not, but in very practical terms with specific targets as a message to, to the region, one to Iran, that not only does Israel, the United States has the capability and will work with Israel, and together they, they are a very formidable force not to be dismissed, that the United States is committed to the region and has the resources despite Ukraine and other things, even though they're drawing down you know, some of the reserves that are held in Israel, but they're American. It's American equipment. It's just prepositioned in different places in the world. We have a munition shortage. But they showed with this that they can meet any challenge, and especially working with Israel and hopefully with other countries in the region. But to those countries, it was a very decisive message that they don't have to be intimidated by Iran, that the, that the United States and its, its best ally, Israel, are there and have immense capabilities with satellite, with very advanced equipment that was being used, some of which they can't discuss publicly. And the, uh, you know, the constant threats and the alliance that is, I mentioned, you know, the Russian-Ukrainian alliance, the Russian, I mean, Russian-Iranian alliance in Ukraine, and the extension with China and the, the other, some other marginal countries. Um, so but the, it's amazing to me, nobody, hardly any mention in the media of this massive historic event, and yet any criticism, the slightest criticism, will make the front page. So there's tremendous, as you just described, tremendous cooperation militarily and in terms of intelligence. But diplomatically, it seems that we just don't have the same level of cooperation. Uh, the I, I would I would not agree with that. Even with I, I, even I, with JCPOA, even with uh, not even with the public criticism of Israel when they have to you know uh, when they have to retaliate after these rocket attacks from Gaza, it, it just doesn't seem like they're on the same page as they are militarily. So 
I mean, there, there are, this is a complicated question because you have to take each thing and analyze it separately. For one thing, the United States' comments, I think, were by and large pretty uh, sensitive, and they, even the Ambassador Nides expressed concern. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, ambassadors go too far in what they, what they say. And the, the message that we heard from yesterday from administration people is they get the idea that, that they have to work and with their criticisms to express them directly. And that the, yeah, you had the visit of Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor. This week, the Secretary of State is going. I think BB will come here. There is a long relationship between the president and Netanyahu. goes back 40 years. And uh, there are many aspects to it. I agree that there were administrations, the past administration, that was much more open and pulled out of JCPOA. They try to revive it. But now they say it's dead. It, the Iranian actions in the Ukraine in the, against its own people, the executions, right now it's, it's not uh, on. It's not off the table, but it's not on the table. It's not on the agenda uh, for now, and you see that the statements, sanctions, not what we would have always liked. The Europeans introduced sanctions, but they couldn't get themselves to um, to really uh, isolate the IRGC and declare it a terrorist organization, even though European Assembly did vote that. They, 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 they succumbed again to the threats from Iran of retaliation if, if they did it. And Iran is engaging in, the, in terrorist activities in the countries. It's not going to uh, make a significant difference uh, if they, um, but it would be a very powerful message were they to sanction uh, the IRGC, something the United States has done. Um, so, but you, just you know, on Iran, on Iran, I, I just say that on Iran, the United States and Israel are pretty close right now on positions. We, of course, wanted to see more earlier. We did not want to see the, the negotiations on the JCPOA because it just would have rewarded an Iran that is getting closer to 90 percent enrichment um, and with stockpiles way beyond what they're supposed to have, violating every uh, aspect of it. We don't. We, we see support now for the Abraham Accords. The, the uh, Negev Seven Forum that took place in in Abu Dhabi was very successful. There are there was progress on some fronts, but of course it 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 um, they don't have the some of the the tone and tenor and some of the actions that we saw during the previous administration. But I think the we have to look at it in its totality. I get it, and I understand that we have to look at it in its totality, but. If, in fact, Juniper Oak, as you described it, it, one of its byproducts is to show the enemy or to show others, rogue uh, governments around the world, that you know Israel and the United States are cooperating and no one's ever going to be able to combat the combined forces of the United States and Israel militarily and intelligence-wise, why don't we get the same pass or why don't we get the same type of luxury when it comes to diplomacy? Why is it that Iran has to see that, oh, if Israel goes ahead and retaliates, for rocket attacks from Gaza, they're going to be condemned by the international community led by Washington. Why can't it be that when Israel goes ahead and does that, they know that the United States has its back and Iran says, oh my gosh, even diplomatically, we can't go ahead and, and, and win this victory. I mean, if Israel hypothetically would attack Iran, uh, I don't know if the United States would remain silent, would condemn it. Maybe they would support it. Who knows? But there's no guarantee the way they're behaving diplomatically. I mean, there are things that I would like to see be said that aren't said, and that the but the United States does not condemn, didn't vote to condemn Israel in the United Nations. They did not join the chorus. They talk about it in in, uh, in in as opposed to most of the other countries, including quote European allies, who uh, who have not stood up and, and 
the um, if you look at the votes in the UN, it's still the overwhelming majority. But it's not fair to say the United States did. I think uh, we would like to see many more things being done and more actions being taken. But you have to to you know have the record c- clear on this. And you know when the United States stands up, it's often alone. You you don't see. Uh, the French and the British and some of the others now uh, standing up all the time in the ways that they should, and some others like Australia or other being critical. Um, so the um, I think that the the message about where the United States and Israel and that the visits are meant to convey a message that the United States and Israel still work together, still cooperating. Um, uh, we would like to see stronger sanctions directly applied in. Iran and and the stopping the export you know the oil exports have brought them more money than they had last year in exports but it's because the price of oil went up and because there a lot of Russia's exports are going through Iran because they want to bypass uh, the sanctions so there's there's um, I mean it's also complicated because there's so many uh, Efforts and you have people then within the administration, one in particular who who was hell bent on doing the JCPOA and kept trying to and backdoor diplomacy, but it's not right now. It does not appear to be uh, happening, and that they publicly declare that it's not on the agenda. Right, your um, report about the Washington view of the JCPOA right now is probably different than what Washington has said publicly about it. Right, you're saying to us that it's basically dead. I don't know if Washington's ever really said that, have they? Yes, have they, they said they, it publicly? I, and I heard it yesterday from leaders, but, in the but not in a private, but not in a private setting. You said you've heard it on the record. You heard it. Yes, they said that there's no nothing happening right now, and that it's not on the agenda. And the president said it. It's not on. And and again, I, I'm not saying we buy it each time that a statement is made because we know that there are people who were behind the scenes working. And and I heard from Iranian sources that the talks were were still ongoing. They are not now. And and it's impossible when what what with Iran's. I'm not saying that it wasn't because people didn't want it, but with Iran's actions in the Ukraine, with in Ukraine and uh, Iran's domestic uh, stands and its massive violations of human rights and executions and all that. How could they sit? How they can't even even if they would want to, they can't. No, but what worries me, and I can't imagine it doesn't worry you, is that even though again in these meetings you're saying it's dead, still they're enriching, they're they're advancing, they're building. They're you know, in other words, it's no. The, I'm saying the negotiations. No, 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 Iran's that, program is more aggressive no, than ever. That I know, but it must worry you that as we're as we're sitting in Washington, you're hearing uh, it's dead. It's dead. It must worry you that yeah, but all this activity continues to go on over there. Of course, I'm worried about it every day, and I deal with it, and we address it, and we try to get members of Congress and others uh, are uh, adopting new legislation. There are new sanctions that are being imposed. Like I keep not necessarily the sanctions we we would like to see the more extreme uh, sanctions. Like I keep focusing on whether the deal is dead. To a degree, it's irrelevant. They keep doing what they're doing. Who cares about the deal? Like you know, what I'm saying like I, I, I myself and others, you know, we're so sensitive about the deal, the deal, the deal. We forget that the enemy is still continuing to arm itself. You know. 
Yeah, but the deal would have provided them with right, countless yeah. billions of dollars right. and still significant in that it would it would welcome them back into and which the Europeans would be would jump all over the opportunity to bring them back into the dialogue. And, you know, because they have this uh, utopian vision of what of what the discussions when we know that all along the Iranians were violating it. Right. And I discussed it on the show. We oh, couldn't yeah. be more clear about the position on it yep. and supporting the, the demonstrations, which do continue, even though they get very little coverage you know the maybe the woke media doesn't feel that it's important but they they you know they were very excited because initially it was the women and and the the demonstrations but we see the plot they just uh, uncovered in Georgia where they were going to try to kill some Israelis they're behind so much of the uh, terrorism um, them, their activities in Syria they're talking about putting air defense batteries there which would be very serious for israel in terms of carrying out its um uh, its operations the um uh, they they made them they are raising the price of oil they sell to syria they doubled the price and cut the amount and they're closing uh, some of their uh, bases and some of their operations because their economic conditions are terrible the people are suffering that you know the real and we've talked in the past about it. The real, which is the currency of Iran, is now four hundred forty-seven thousand to the dollar. Wow! You talk about taking wheelbarrows of money, and since the demonstration starting September, is down thirty percent more. And yet the people are willing to put up with it and continue the demonstrations and to stand against the government, which they know is denying them their rights. And uh, hopefully Russia will not sell the, the Sukhoi jets and that the United States and others are, go- are going to put maximum pressure on. And if necessary, make sure that those planes never reach uh, uh, Iran because that will upgrade them. As you know, they, many of their planes are from the 1970s. They don't have spare parts for the planes. They, um, uh, they're, they're, that's why they use the drone so heavily. And if you see then when they do the drone attacks, the Russians in, in, in Ukraine, they, they take down about 60, 70% are shot down because they're, they're lumbering, they're big, uh, and only a few actually reach the, their targets. Mm. And yet, they said, by the way, they threaten the United States openly because it's the third anniversary of the killing of Soleimani, who was the head of their killing operations and never been replaced. So when people say, oh, if you kill one guy, then they replace him, it's not true. They cannot uh, replace him. But they had and they had these national commemorations of his life and talked very openly about the void that it left uh, for them. Uh, He remember he was killed in Baghdad by by various means. Yeah, the. I like how you say that. The Israelis, and of course, I would have to include the Americans as well. They know who needs to be taken out. Call a vote to them. By the way, the Blinken Secretary of State Blinken trip to Israel is next week, right? Yes. And uh, what? Can, and finally, what's happening in Turkey? Is Erdogan running for re-election? That, so they announced early elections, and he is re- running. Uh, he's got. He's running scared. Uh, you know, he. They lost elections in Istanbul and Ankara, which are two major cities. So he is uh, starting his campaign, and um, and some people say that's part of the reasons. You know, he's been much more favorable and to Israel. And in our last meeting with him uh, not long ago, he, I told him it was boring because we had no, no fights this time. Uh, but but we still have plenty of issues with him. Hamas still operates there, and you know Turkey is um, very active in, in Syria and other places, um, and in some sense also. 
with uh, with Russia, even though they have vast differences in tensions. But um, they, you know, they they exploit any position for a common cause. And the uh, but they did not live up to the promise of removing Hamas. They claim Hamas has no offices and operations, uh, open operations. That they're just the people living there. But in in, uh, in Turkey. And that's an issue that we monitor and, and discuss all the time. And this is what in May, right? Has a oh, it's actually it's more than three months it's down the road. This is going to be yeah. it's going to be quite a long campaign. It's not a long campaign. American campaigns we're, we're <laughs> campaigning already for two years from now. <laughs> it's a short campaign. No, that's a good point. But uh, I, I don't know. It's it, for and I, I just assume, and I, I don't even know why I assume this, uh, but I just assume that he's uh, in a position where. Where um, how do how do I put this? That the the elections in his country are not exactly on the up and up. I have no reason to assume that, right? I mean, Turkey, right? Okay. But but he has he they, they do have he has real challenges. Number one, the economy, like right. the, the Iranian economy, the currency is a fraction of what it was worth before. People are feeling the economic uh, pressure. They uh, don't necessarily support all the adventurism and the positions that uh, that he's taken. You have the problem with the Kurds and the domestic population. You have uh, the, his, uh, so it's the economic conditions, the social conditions, and the political uh, array right now um, would certainly make him worry. It's true that uh, people say that the, you know, whether elections are fair or not, but we know that the elections in Ankara and others places, major cities um, turned to candidates won who were opposed to, to Erdogan. Right. So the votes count. Yeah, and we'll see if he can survive this one. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. I will. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time with the weekly update here at JM in the AM.